If I were to ask you a question regarding your cares, what do you care about? How would you respond? This question can be, um, it can catch us off guard. And so oftentimes it can be a struggle to think about how would we answer the question? Well, beloved, if you are struggling to answer the question, one of the things that I would encourage you is to look no further than your prayers. For your prayers reveal your cares. They serve as a witness on the witness stand, and they testify to what we actually care about. Like a lie detector test, if we profess these cares, it is our prayer life that will say whether it is true or false. So, beloved, what would your prayer life say about your concerns and cares? It is common for us to pray about physical things and circumstances, which isn't bad at all. In fact, the Lord Jesus taught his disciples to pray, give us this day our daily bread. But the question is, are those the only matters by which you pray for? Do they make up the majority of your prayers? What about spiritual matters? Are you praying for maturity in Christ, for your progress and joy in the faith? As you think about prayers, are they limited to yourselves or are you praying for others? Is the scope of your prayers limited to self or do they extend beyond the borders of self to our very own local body, to other churches in the city, and to our neighbors? Beloved, our prayers reveal our cares and because Christ has saved us and united us together. We are to care about each other's sanctification. We're to care about each other's walk and maturity in Christ. Therefore, we are to be praying about those things. And we will see this in this morning's passage. And so if you're able to, please stand for the reading of God's word. First Thessalonians chapter 3. Verses 11 to 13. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone, just as we do for you. May he make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Amen. You may be seated. And so our big idea for this morning's passage is this. Pray for one another's sanctification because we are to care about it. Pray for one another's sanctification because we are to care about it. And in this morning's passage, Paul teaches us three specific prayer points that will be good for us to pray for one another. One, we're to pray for our reunion, that we will come together, pray for a reunion. Second, we're to pray for increased affection and third, we are to pray for progress 
in holiness. So we pray for our reunion, increased affection, and progress in holiness. So last time, a couple of weeks ago, we saw how persecution arose in Thessalonica and separated Paul from this congregation as he had to flee. And he was seeking to return, but he has been hindered by Satan. And so he sent Timothy. And he sent Timothy with two purposes, to strengthen their faith and to investigate their faith. See to it, see to it that they haven't committed apostasy. Well, Timothy went, he was there, and he returned to Paul with a favorable report that encouraged the apostle Paul. He went from giving thanks in order, and then to making an intercession for this congregation. And in this morning's passage, we will see the content of Paul's prayer. And this very content teaches us to pray these kinds of prayers for each other. And so first thing that we are to pray for is for our reunion. Look at verse 11. It says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. So Paul here, he began praying. Now, what is prayer? Well, the Truth and Grace Catechism says that it is a conversation with God, where we talk to the living and true God. God has revealed himself through his word, and he's also revealed that he commands and calls for his people to pray. Well, it's through prayer that we approach our God and we talk with him. Our prayers are normally directed to God the Father as Jesus taught his disciples in Matthew chapter 6. And if you read the scriptures, you will see different kinds of prayers. You see prayers of praise, prayers where sins are confessed, prayers of thanksgiving to the Lord for his salvation and his provision, and also prayers of supplication where requests are made. And that's exactly what we see here. Paul making a prayer of supplication where he makes his requests known. And before we get into this prayer, I just want to address the children who are in the gathering this morning. Children, just as your parents would want you to talk with them about everything and anything, to talk with them about your day, what you experienced, who all you interacted with, your feelings, whether you're happy or sad or you're hurt or if you did something wrong. Well, like your parents, God wants his children to talk with him. And he wants us to talk with him anytime, in any place, and about anything. The sweet times and the hard times. When we're in need of help and when we have wronged him. In fact, Jesus died that we may approach God and that his throne may be a throne of grace for all who have trusted in him. So children, one of the things I would encourage you to do if you haven't already is to ask your parents to teach you how to pray. And parents, I would strongly exhort you to teach your children how to pray. You know, we teach our kids the ABCs, one, two, threes. We teach them how to ride a bike. Then how much more should we teach them how to pray? Children oftentimes learn by imitation. 
And so what I would encourage for parents to model a prayer life in front of your kids. Let them see you pray prayers of praise where you praise God for how he's revealed himself in the scriptures. Let them see you pray prayers of confession when you confess your sins to God. Praying prayers of thanksgiving and prayers of supplication where you're interceding for the saints. So they learn by imitation, but they also learn by instruction. And so what would it look like for you to teach your kids how to pray a prayer of praise? When they sin by lying or hitting, walk them through a prayer of confession. When you hear an update on somebody, something's going wrong, walk them through what it looks like to pray for God to heal, for God to help, and for God to save. Beloved, may we teach our kids how to pray. Let's get into the prayer. Verse 11, Paul says, may, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. Now in this verse, it is very easy for us, to, for us to gloss over the significance of Paul addressing God as our God and Father. This speaks to our adoption in Christ Jesus, to where the God of the universe has adopted us in Christ to where we are his children and he is our father. And we are loved greatly. Beloved, this happened through the gospel. You see, the gospel of Christ, it transforms our relationship to God, to where we go from being alienated and being at enmity with him to being a part of his family. Our sins are atoned for. Through the sacrifice of Christ, we are reconciled to God. And more than being reconciled, we are his children. And beloved, this was not our doing or idea, but this was God's doing. According to his purpose, by his grace and for his glory. Paul prays to God the Father, saying, may our God and Father and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. Well, what does Paul pray? Pray for the Lord to lead and clear the path that there may be a reunion. This prayer reveals that Paul wholeheartedly believes in the sovereignty of God. That God is sovereign over all things, that he is the ruler. As Psalm chapter 115 verse 3 would say, our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. Paul believes in the providence of God where God sovereignly governs and orchestrates all the affairs on creation. And he does this for his purpose and for his glory. Earlier this week, my family, we were huddling up and we read verse 11 and I asked Jace, I said, Jace, won't you pray a prayer of praise, praising God that he directs his people? Well, Jace took it upon himself to pray he prayed that God would direct our mailman to our house that he may receive his Paw Patrol toys. <laughs> now, if you know my son and you've been in our house, you know how much he loves Paw Patrol. Miss Kathy can attest to it. And so when he prayed that prayer, I was struck. I was pretty blown away because it revealed his cares. And one of the things that really struck me is that, man, he has some sense of an understanding of God's sovereignty, asking for God to direct the mailman to come. Now, we got to work on idolatry, though. 
And so please pray for the Chapman house. Now here, Paul is praying for God to clear the path and allow him to reunite with this congregation. But I don't want you to miss this. He not only prayed for the Father to do this, he also says, and our Lord Jesus. Here Paul believes that Jesus is sovereign like God the Father. And here he calls Jesus Lord. This is Yahweh the great I am, who's revealed himself in Exodus 3 to Moses. And Jesus is Lord as he is the Son, the second person of the Trinity who is the eternal begotten Son of the Father. You see, he existed long before he was born. And Jesus is sovereign because Jesus is God. Paul prayed for God to direct his way to the Thessalonians. He prayed for a reunion. One of the reasons why he prayed is because, as we saw in chapter 2, he's made all kinds of attempts to return and failed. Verse 18 would say, so we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. Paul wasn't ignorant to Satan's schemes. He knows that he is no match for Satan, but he also knows that Satan is no match for God. You see, they are enemies, but not rivals. This isn't an Ali versus Frazier. This is more like Usain Bolt racing an infant. He'll win every time. It's the same with God. You see, Satan is no match for Jesus. Think about Jesus' earthly ministry. In the wilderness, he overcame Satan's temptations. Throughout his earthly ministry, he defeated Satan's minions with speaking. And at the cross of Jesus Christ, where he died to atone for our sins, and three days later resurrected from the grave, he defeated Satan, sin, and death. And y'all, this victory wasn't, wasn't private, it was public. Colossians chapter 2 verse 15 says that God disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in Christ. And so here Paul is praying for God to sovereignly intervene because Satan can't stop God. When God opens a door, Satan cannot shut it. When God makes the path straight, Satan can't destroy it. Satan cannot frustrate or thwart any purposes or plans of God. And so he pleads for God to bring about this reunion because if it is going to happen, it will only happen by God's power. And so Paul, he prays for this reunion. He wants to reunite with the congregation, but it's not to hang out or shoot the breeze and call it fellowship. It's not the type of conversations that you would have on the golf course or in the barber shop. He's praying for this reunion for the purpose of Christ-exalting communion. Think about chapter 3, verse 10, as he says, as we pray very earnestly night and day to see you face to face and to complete what is lacking in your faith. Paul wants to reunite with this congregation that he may build them up, that he may strengthen their faith. Beloved, this prayer, thinking about this prayer, I can't help but ask us, beloved, what is the content of our prayers? How often are we praying about our corporate gathering? 
For that is when we come together. That is when we see each other face to face. That is when we're to come to build each other up in Christ. How often is that one of the prayer requests that we're praying? Because we gather weekly, it can be easy to just presume that the Lord is going to do it and to not pray for the Lord, to use it to build each other up in the Lord. Well, beloved, as we pray for our gathering, the Lord uses it to heighten our eagerness in anticipation of the corporate gathering. To where we are excited to see each other. We want to hear the preached word. We want to sing praises to our God. And we hope and pray that God will use it to bless his people. Beloved, show me members who are excited about our gathering. And I will show you those who have been praying fervently in light of it. How much more should we pray about our gathering as we know that Satan works to keep us from gathering together? Paul says that it was Satan who hindered him from getting to that church. How much more should we be praying for one another and have an eagerness to gather together for each other's encouragement since we know that we have a real enemy who wants to hinder it? Paul prays in light of God's sovereignty, prayed for a reunion for the purpose of edification because his cares were not upon himself but upon this congregation. He was concerned about their walk with Christ. He wanted them to grow in maturity in Christ Jesus. And so he prayed for the Lord to bring about a reunion. Beloved, if God in his sovereignty granted your prayer requests, how many brothers and sisters would be built up? What would their sanctification look like? Would your spouse be more conformed to the image of Christ Jesus or to your preferred image? Would your roommates and friends be more eager in the spiritual disciplines and have more spiritual conversations talking about the Lord and seeking to encourage one another in the Lord? Would more members be doing life together with the purpose of building each other up in Christ? These are good prayers to pray. And these are good things for us to discuss after service over lunch. Now, by God's grace, I believe that many of you are praying for members' maturity and growth in Christ, and I want to encourage you to keep on doing it. Beloved, what would it look like for us to be a people who pray for our gathering and also pray when we meet each other one-on-one, to pray before we get up, whether it's breakfast or lunch or dinner, Saying, Lord, I know that you have ordained this time. Lord, help me to be a, use me to be an instrument in your hands for their progress in Christ. Lord, make this meeting sweet and edifying to the praise of your glory. Beloved, this isn't varsity Christianity. This is part of what it means to follow Jesus. And if you are doing this, I would encourage you to keep at it. And if you've been the recipient of such intentionality, I would encourage you to see it for what it truly is, an act of love, a desire to help you grow in Christ. So we would be a people who pray for our reunion as we seek to come together on the Lord's day. And we're also to pray for increased affection. Look at verse 12. 
Paul says, and may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone just as we do for you. Paul prayed for their love to abound abundantly, for it to abound and overflow. Now, what is love? It is to selflessly give up oneself for the good of the other. It has an outward orientation. It is most vividly displayed in sacrifice. Think about this morning's assurance of pardon. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And so Paul here, he is pleading for the Lord to increase their love bountifully. He's asking for God to do it because this is supernatural. This doesn't come natural. It is spiritual as it reflects the love that Christ has for us. For it was the very Lord who loved us and gave himself up for us to atone for our sins. Beloved, by the grace of God, we have been saved through faith in the Lord Jesus We are citizens of his kingdom. The very God who is love has made us a part of his covenant people. So it should be no surprise that we are to be marked by love. For we have been loved greatly in Christ. And we are commanded to love one another. Think about Jesus' command in the upper room discourse. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The gospel propels us to love one another in response to us being loved by Jesus. As we identify with him, we are to seek to be imitators of him, reflecting the very love that he showed us which means that as Christians, we aren't to be a people who are marked by apathy. We aren't to be a people who have a reputation of quarrelsome or being unkind, but of being a people who are marked by love. That's in our gathering, that's in our homes, that's in person, and that is online. Now, if you are familiar with 1 Thessalonians, you can't help but wonder Why would Paul make this prayer request? For this congregation has been commended for their love. Think about chapter 3, verse 6. Timothy brought good news concerning their faith and love. Think about chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. When Paul writes them about love, he says that you are already doing this toward all the brothers and sisters in the entire region. And so they are excelling in this area by God's grace. Why this prayer request? Well, like all matters in the walk, the Christian life, love especially is not an area where we should be trying to grow in complacency. We can always grow in love as Christ is the standard. According to Scripture's definition and description, we can't love people too much. That's like saying we're being too much like God. Can't do it. And here Paul, he prays for the Lord to do it because we need the Lord to do this work in us. 
If you've tried, then you know from experience that white-knuckling this, trying to grow in love, will only lead to disappointment, frustration, and burnout. But the Lord can do this work in us. As Paul is confident and as we know by God's grace from experience, as we pray, as we meditate on the gospel, he can do this in us. It is, in fact, as we meditate on the good news of Christ, that the Lord does this work in us to where it increases our affections for him and others. Because by meditating on the gospel, we remember how undeserving we are. And we're also reminded how greatly loved we are in Christ which causes us to grow in our affections for the Lord and for his people. And out of a love for Jesus, we love his people. Now, it's important to know that this prayer doesn't give a license to withhold love or to wait until our affections to change to show it. It doesn't give that license. In those moments where we do that, we're not submitting ourselves to the lordship of Christ, but we're submitting ourselves to our feelings. And yet Jesus commands us to love one another as he has loved us. And beloved, that command doesn't come with a condition or a feelings clause. We are to do this even when our feelings ain't feeling it. We pray, we do it, and we ask for the Lord to let our hearts catch up. Now, some of you may wonder, well, pastor... Is that being fake because your feelings ain't in it? To which I would say not at all. That's not being fake. What that is is being faithful to Christ and resisting your flesh. So may we do it even when our feelings ain't feeling it. In fact, as we do life together by God's grace, as we have one another over for meals, as we pray fervently, the Lord uses these things to grow our affections for each other. And so a question to consider is, what is the barometer of your love for the body? What is the temperature? Is it increasing? Because that's what Paul is praying for, and that's what we are to pray for. Paul prays that this love increase and that it extends beyond the borders of this local church to other Christians and their neighbors. He says, may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone just as we do for you. Our love, if our love is only for our local church, then beloved, we are falling short of God's command. Think about the great command to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're to be a people who who are marked by love for the covenant community and for our neighbors. Galatians chapter 6 says, let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Beloved, we are to have this care and compassion for our neighbors to where we see their plight, their suffering, their difficult situations, their lack of resources, and especially their spiritual estate of being lost. We are to have compassion and we are to love and seek to serve. For our Lord Jesus demonstrated this in his earthly ministry and we are to reflect him as his people. 
And so if you know yourself to not be a Christian, friends, I am glad that you are here. I want you to know that God loves you. And I also want you to know that we love you. And part of loving you is being honest with you. The fact that God created you, God loves you, and you have rebelled against him. The one who has only been good to you, you have scorned and rejected. In his love, he sent his son to save sinners like you and I. Jesus died on the cross to save sinners. He resurrected from the grave, and all who trust in him will be saved. Friends, I would implore you this very day to believe in Jesus Christ and be saved. You'll be delivered from the judgment that is to come. You'll be forgiven of all wrongdoing that you've ever done. You'll be adopted into the family of God. Well, there is no greater father than God. And all of this he offers you in Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved. Friends, know that this message is not hate speech, but it is a word of love as we're beckoning you to trust in the God who is love. If you want to talk more, you can talk with any of our members after service. We would love to have these type of conversations. See here, Paul, he's praying that their affections would increase because he cares about their love. And beloved, we are to pray for each other's love because we're to care. Jesus cares about our love. Jesus desires for our affections for one another to abound. So are we to be no less concerned about the very same thing? Increased affections is a wonderful prayer to pray as you pray through the membership directory. And if you're ever asked, how can I be praying for you? If you can't think of anything, this is a, good this is a great request. Pray that my affections for the body would increase and overflow. Because the more affections we have for each other, the Lord can use to make known that we are more and more known for our love for one another. So, beloved, may we pray for our affections in this body to increase. May we also pray to progress in holiness. Look at verse 13. May he make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father and the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. This is Paul's third prayer point for holiness. And before we get into this actual prayer point, I just want to make known, y'all, what got me about this prayer as I was studying this passage is what Paul focuses on. He didn't focus on physical circumstances, though they were being persecuted. Instead, he focuses on their sanctification. And in fact, if you read most of Paul's prayers, you will see that his concern is spiritual maturity. Think about the scripture reading, the corporate scripture reading of Colossians chapter 1. He focuses on spiritual maturity, on growth in Christ. Now, it's not to assume that situations are unimportant. Paul ain't communicating that. Well, what Paul is communicating that faith in Christ and faithfulness to Christ is more important. And beloved, it's good for us to think through. Are our prayers marked by this type of prioritization? Where we pray about specific matters, 
Pray for people to get married. Pray for people to have children. Pray for people to be healed. Pray for the Lord to give provision. Pray for justice. And simultaneously, we prioritize sanctification in the midst. As we pray those things for people, we pray for their contentment in Christ. We pray for an unshakable trust in the Lord Jesus amidst the circumstance. We pray that they would have an unwavering hope in Christ. We pray that by God's grace, they will remain faithful to Jesus in the midst of the suffering that they're experiencing. Beloved, may we pray those kinds of prayers as well as we pray for people in light of situations that they're in. Paul says, may he make your hearts blameless in holiness. Paul here is praying for the Lord to purify their hearts, to strengthen them and cleanse them. Now here it's important to know that when Paul talks about the heart in this verse, he's not referring to an internal organ, but it is the centerpiece of the self, where your thoughts, your, your uh, yeah, lost my place, where your thoughts, where your will, your decisions, where these things come from, it, it's the real you. In fact, we're commanded to love the Lord with all of our hearts. And one of the new covenant blessings is that God gives us a new heart. And we still are in need of purification because we live in this body of flesh where we have fleshly passions and desires which wages war with our souls. So Paul is praying for the Lord to cleanse, to purify. Beloved, by God's grace, we have been saved and we have received a holy calling to where in Christ Jesus we are sanctified positionally and now the Lord is sanctifying his people. And the Lord is the heart surgeon. He does this invisible work in us that leads to noticeable effects to where we no longer love and do the things that we know displeases God and it is out of a love for Jesus. Not to gain Jesus' approval, but because we love him. We cut off things and cut things out of our lives that are hindering our progress in Christ. Paul asked for the Lord to make their hearts blameless. He does this sanctifying work through the word. Psalm chapter 119 verses 9 to 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping your word. I have sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have treasured your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. The Lord uses, the Spirit uses the word to conform us more into the likeness of the Lord Jesus. This sanctification happens through the ordinary means of grace. The corporate gathering, praying, fellowship, studying the word. Beloved, if we were to cut these things out, we shut off the very means by which God sanctifies his people. If we were to do that, then we will find ourselves looking like the world, acting like the world, thinking like the world, sounding like the world. It's incompatible with the Christian life because Jesus called us out of the world. 
And so we are to reflect him. This is Christ saved us. Beloved, it is good for us to desire to progress in sanctification. Where we put forth grace-driven effort that we may grow in the likeness of Jesus. Because God has called us for that. He's predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. And we're to desire that very same thing out of a love for Jesus. Look at verse 13. He says, may he make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Paul is looking forward and thinking forward. He's looking ahead to the great day that all Christians await, the coming of the Lord Jesus. He knows that on that day, we will stand before our God and Father. And it is on that day where our sanctification will be complete. It is before the foundation of the world that God elected us for this. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. And so the Lord is sanctifying us in this day in preparation for that day. He called us to this. Think about 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, where John says, See what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children, and we are. He says, Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he, being Christ, appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. We've been called to this. We've been adopted for this. And so this is what we are to pursue now by God's grace for God's glory. And, beloved, this testifies to the effectualness of Jesus' sacrifice for sins, that everyone he saves, he will sanctify completely. Beloved, if we are in Christ, we don't have to worry if we will stand in holiness before our God and Father. We don't have to fret because we will. God is faithful. I'm going to go there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. Listen to what Paul says. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to verse 24. He says, he who calls you is faithful. He will do it. It's not a might. Paul didn't say that he might do it. Paul didn't say that he may do it. Paul says that he will do this. And so we can have great assurance that if our faith is in Jesus, we will stand holy before God on that final day. By God's grace and for God's glory. And since God has chosen us for this in Christ, since Christ has made purification for our sins and he is purifying us now, We are to be a people who pursue this holiness today in preparation for that day. 
knowing that it will be complete on that day. Beloved, God calling us to holiness, knowing that we'll be holy on that day, doesn't give us a license towards worldliness in this day. The very grace that saves us is the same grace that trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly life in the present age as we await the return of our Savior. It's because we love Jesus that we want to be like him. And beloved, here we see eschatology in times, it informs ethics. Calling impacts our conduct. May we pursue holiness. And may we pray for it for one another as we pray through the directory. Here we see Paul cared about this congregation's progress in love and in holiness. And his cares was evident because he prayed about it. He asked the Lord to do what only the Lord can do. Beloved, we are to care about each other's sanctification. We are to be a people who pray for the progress. Because nobody else is going to pray about it. Nobody else cares about it. Only Christians care about your faithfulness to Jesus. So how much more should we pray about this? Beloved, the question is, is this one of your concerns for our church? That we grow in holiness. And no doubt, by God's grace, some of you are modeling this well, and I'll continue to commend you and pray that it will continue The question to consider, that if this is not your concern, why not? You know, I was talking to my wife about the passage. She said something. She said, some of us may not care about other people's sanctification because we don't care about our own. Beloved, when we are not in the word, when we're not praying, when there is no gospel-centered fellowship, when there's an apathy or an indifference towards gathering, we're not concerned about our souls, and we certainly won't be concerned about other members. Beloved, if that is you, let me call you back to the Lord who loves you and bled for you. Meditate on his goodness and his grace and his kindness. And know that it is not too late to turn from that. In fact, I would encourage you, if that is you, ask a member to help you get more regular in the spiritual disciplines, to pray that your affections for the Lord would grow. That it may be evident, not only concerned for your sanctification, but in the sanctification of others. In fact, that's where we see maturity. The one is not just concerned about their walk, but concerned about other people's relationship to Christ and laboring toward that end for them to grow in Jesus. Verse 13, Paul says, May he make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. The Lord came, He came to save. The first time, and in his earthly ministry, he promised to return, and that is the day that we await. When the Lord returns, he will come as a warrior, and he will destroy all of his enemies. 
He will consummate his kingdom, and he will not come alone. Paul says that he will come, the Lord Jesus will come with all his saints. And the language of the Lord's coming is in reference to Zechariah chapter 14, verse 5. And here Paul applies it to Jesus because Jesus is Lord. And he will come with the saints, angels and the saints. Those who have died in Christ on that day, they will unite with their bodies. They will return with the Lord. And here Paul is calling this church through this prayer to consider the final day. They are to look ahead towards that day as are we. And he's also praying for their progress in the faith in preparation of that day. He says, amen. This is the conclusion of the prayer. And it serves as a transition in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Because what he prays for in this In these three verses, he will exhort in the next two chapters. And that teaches us that our prayers for one another's sanctification, it is not the end, but it is the beginning. It is the preliminary that paves the way for encouragement and exhortation to where we put feet to our faith and we labor for the very things that we're praying for each other's progress and growth in Christ Jesus. Well, we're reminding one another of the gospel of Christ and applying the gospel to specific situations and areas of our life by God's grace and for God's glory. Beloved, the Lord cares about our faith. He cares about our walk with him. And because we love him and follow him, and he has united us together, our concerns are to reflect his cares. And may it be evident in our prayers where we beg for the Lord to do what only he can do, sanctifying his people, preserving us to that final day. May we be faithful in prayer. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we praise you for your love. We praise you for your sustaining and keeping power that you will preserve us. We praise you that your son will sanctify us continuously. That, he will bring, that you will bring to completion a good work that you've begun in us. Father, we pray that you would turn our hearts more and more towards yourself and toward one another. That we would be a people who pray for each other's progress in love, in holiness, that we'd be eager to unite together, to see each other face to face and labor towards that end. As our gaze be upon the day when our Savior will return. We pray that Christ would come soon. Come, Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, Paul concludes his prayer thinking about the coming of the Lord Jesus. So it's fitting for us to sing in light of that day as we anticipate it. So let's stand now and sing hymn of heaven, the very day that we await. <laughs>